So, Riley, thank you for joining me. Uh, please just sort of briefly explain your uh, background in martial arts. Like, what do you specialize in, and, and what do you do? Um, well, I uh, compete primarily in submission grappling and sambo, um, and I've also uh, fought in MMA. I had my pro MMA debut in uh, last year. Uh, my main focus is in submission grappling and sambo. Uh, I'm one the uh, the Dutch Sambo Championships, the Canadian Sambo Championships twice, and I medaled in the uh, U.S. Championships and the British Championships. I was on the uh, world team in 2008 in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, for sports Sambo. And um, as far as grappling goes, since that's the most accessible thing in the United States, uh, for the most part, Sambo is something you have to travel for to compete if you're from this country. So I, I do a lot of submission grappling events in August, things like that. Um, I was invited to the Ultimate Absolute uh, 155 when they had that in New York. And uh, my most recent thing was I did the uh, ADCC Pro Division, 155-pound Pro Division in New York City. They had a couple months ago and won that. Uh, just a, a point of clarification, neither here nor there. there. There are no belts in Sambo, right? Like you're either a master of sport or you're not. How, how does one attain a, a ranking of expert that is universally recognized? Uh, well, so you, uh, there are no belts in Sambo as far as universal recognized rank. And even Master of Sport is technically specific to the nation that it's from. So, for instance, uh, when someone says Master of Sport, they're usually talking about from Russia. Uh, so, the Russia uses a Master of Sport certification to anything. I think you believe you can get it in tennis. Um, it's not specific to Sambo. Um, you can get it in judo. And... Um, so some organization, notably FIAS, which is the largest governing body for Sambo, will give Masters of Sports based on uh, competition achievement. Uh, it's, it's kind of a convoluted requirement, um, and it's confusing, but usually it's competition achievement. You can get it for other things as well. Um, but in the United States, there's going to be very few people who have Masters of Sport um, unless they got them from... Uh, there was, uh, there's been a couple of times when, when, when the politics of Sambo have gotten so complicated that the major organizations have split off, and some of those uh, split organizations were handing out American Masters of Sport, but that was like in the early 90s. That doesn't really happen anymore, so there's pretty much no American Masters of Sport anymore, um, unless they got them from Russia. Got it. Okay. Um... Oh, I'm sorry, but I just need to answer your question. The, the, the best way to determine someone's an expert at Sambo, I, I think, would usually be uh, competition achievement or co coaching achievement. That's the simplest answer, which is the same for wrestling or boxing or any other combat sport. Um, that's the simplest way to do it. Because combat, since there's no, there's no skill division in Sambo, just like there's no skill division in, in like, wrestling. Um, the, you simply win tournaments, and depending on what country you win them in, kind of states your ability, if that makes any sense. It does. That makes sense. Uh, all right, so we are here. I want to discuss the John Fitch, uh, Husmar Palharas fight and the submission in question. I guess what I would say is, um, as a broad answer, and we can dig down to the uh, more granular parts in just a second, but from a broad perspective, what went wrong for Fitch? Is there, a, is there one, I mean, there's probably many lessons, but is there one bigger than the next? Is there one overarching lesson about how this happened to him? Uh, I guess a broad answer would be um, going to be a problem that most grapplers have, which is a um, maybe a loose understanding of, of leg locks as a whole, not just specifically 
the heel hook or the ankle lock or the, or the knee bar, but just the, the whole um, encounter when someone's attacking your, your lower body limbs is very complicated and very intricate. And um, you can, if you zig when you should zag, things can go wrong, which is basically what happened for him. Um, I think the real common thing you hear from people when they're coaching escaping submissions uh, against the lower body is they don't have nearly an intricate response on how to escape as you will when you hear someone talk about escaping, let's say, an arm bar or a choke. So, for instance, you'll hear things like, oh, just start spinning or stiffen your leg or whatever, um, where when you have someone explain you how to get out of a naked choke it's, or get out of the back, it's a much more complicated, uh, much more nuanced response because people understand it better. So I think that he probably uh, didn't have the... Uh, the complete grasp of, of, of the animal that is leg locks as, as he could have, but at the same time, he's going against somebody who's just incredibly good at it, vicious with transitions, and um, has a lot of faith in his technique. So it was kind of a, a bad person to be learning against, I guess. All right, so then from a more uh, nuanced perspective, just the finishing sequence, there was a moment there where I thought he was out of trouble when he had separated the ankles, and he had the ankles in both of his hands, um, there was no reap. There was nothing. I mean, I think uh, Paul Harris still had the straight ankle lock, but that's very hard to, to submit someone at this level of the game. From the moment where he had the legs separated, what went wrong? Okay, so if he had, if Paul Harris going around the ankle has nothing to do with the ankle lock. That's something that, that a lot of people might not realize. You're talking about points of control in the legs. So let's talk about like a triangle choke, right? So if you visualize a triangle choke, I've got my legs around your arm and your head, and I've got my hands involved, maybe holding onto your head, holding onto your elbow, something like that, right? If I have to make an adjustment for a triangle choke, if I have to move my legs, then I'm going to hold on to your head or your elbow with my hands, right? So if I hold on to your head with my hands, I can open my legs, I can post my foot on your hip, I can throw my, my, my hips out, retie my triangle to finish, right? When Paul Harris lost control of the free leg with his legs, he laced an ankle lock looking situation. So he has still controlled the leg. So putting your arm around someone's ankle doesn't necessarily mean you have any intention of finishing an ankle lock. It just means here's a point of control I've got while I hold on to this. So I fix my leg entanglement. Does that make sense? It does. Mm -hmm. So when he has the arm around the leg and he's got, and he's looking at fish, he's got his feet, um, kind of like you said, exposed, not entangled underneath the free leg. Um, he's waiting for Fitch to make an adjustment so he can re-entangle his legs and make, and make his own adjustments, right? It's a complicated position. So I guess what Fitch could have done is keep hands on both ankles, the ones that are, uh, keep hands, excuse me, hands on, on both of uh, Harris's feet, right, and keep them in front of him. If you keep the feet in front of you, it's harder for them to relace underneath and behind your legs and things like that. And then try to stand completely stand and smash them down towards Paris's chest. And that would kind of relieve the pressure on the knee. That's the approach I would take in that situation. Um, realistically, though, against a really high-level leg lock person, um, one of the things that you're also going to need is the ability to counter leg lock. And that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. If I'm working against someone who's good at defending leg locks, one of the key things they're going to have is be able to leg lock me back. And if they can uh, actively counter threat, it makes it more difficult for me to be so single-minded. So, for instance, let's say if it stood up and had control of Paul feet, he might have been able to lace in an inverted heel hook, which, as you said, is easier to finish than Paul ankle lock position. And then starting that inverted heel hook might cause Paul to start to scramble 
a lot of people are afraid of this method. They're afraid that if they um, engage in leg locks, they're basically going to get themselves submitted. Uh, but I think if we look at the, for the most part, you're probably going to get submitted anyways if you're just defending and pulling away. At least if you also learn some counterfighting techniques, you can make it an even game and make it more complicated in exchange for your attacker. Does that make sense? Yeah. There was a moment in the exchange before he was taken to the ground, right, where Fitch was trying a heel hook on one of Paharis's open legs, but it was the one that was kind of in the air. There was no real control over it. Am I right? Right. Yeah, I have to watch it again. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing is that you, you can't just try it. You actually have to be able to do it, right? So basically what I'm advocating is having a complete and full understanding of leg locks by all people who are involved. So um, you, the, if I, would, I would bet the amount of time that uh, Fitch puts into uh, attacking and defending their legs is less than 10% of the amount of time he puts into the rest of his grapple. Right. Yep. So, if you're looking at the percentage of the human body we're talking, we're talking about roughly 50 percent of the human body. Um, that's proportionate, right? So, my suggestions on how to behave when you're being attacked or defending won't matter if you're not going to invest a lot of time into really understanding these positions and working them out. And so, um, yeah, you're right. If you just throw on kind of a heel hook that's uh, floating leg that you don't have control over, it's not really going to matter. Um, I definitely submitted people who. I was grappling, and they tried to heel hold me back because something that simply wasn't going to work, and that kind of sealed their doom. That's definitely true. But at the same time, when I go to her better, you know, um, guys that are higher-level grapplers, uh, generally the counterattacks are one of the things that get me, you know, um, if, they're, if, they're, if they're equally good at the submissions. All right, so a couple of questions here about the, uh, the nature of how leg locks are applied, uh, at least in this context. Um, can you just very, very uh, briefly explain what the reap is, the leg that comes over on the hip, and why that's so critical to the position? Um, okay, so if you're attacking, so this, this, so this is a grappling is a visual thing. I'm trying to try to explain as best I can, but well, here, here's I, what I mean for folks who may not uh, understand what I'm talking about. Like right, the finishing sequence is remember, Fitch had the hand separated, then he lets him go, and Paharis's right leg comes over on top of Fitch's left hip. Fitch basically right. rolls, and then the end was like a second or two later. A knee bar. Yeah. Basically a knee bar from a heel position. Yeah, so w when you have your outside leg draped across the hip, um, from the outside, laced over across the knee, across the hip, it forces your opponent to only roll in one direction, okay? And that direction is towards their hands, towards their chest, towards the mat, not facing you, right? It's a direction away from power punching. Um, it's away from being able to hook, keep weight on your foot. So that reap basically means that your opponent can't stay, can't keep weight on the foot you're attacking. That's the main, that's the main point of the reap. And you can't keep weight on the, they can't keep weight on the foot they're attacking if their knee is bent in like that. And they can't turn to hit you. So they're forced to roll in that direction. Um, and most time what happens is people will roll together and connect it and they'll roll and hit the cage and then, or they'll lucky and get out. What happened in this situation is, he rolled and stopped when he was on his hands and um, Paulus didn't even move. He stayed in place and then found himself with the knee right at his hip level where he could throw on a really, really, really nasty knee bar essentially from his hip position, um, which is just good reaction from Paulus basically taking, taking advantage of what was in front of him and having faith in his submission. That's how the reap works and that's what, that's what, caused, it. That's what caused him to move in that direction versus, let's say, bring his knees to the mat in a pseudo mount and start punching. You know, 
All right, so this is, uh, this is helpful. Let me ask about a few different things here, and we'll piece this together in an interview in a way that makes sense, but I'm just going to ask at the top of my head because I've, I, there's so many different ways to look at this. Um, okay. Everyone always talks about his history of holding the heel hook. Was, the, was he holding this particular heel hook too long? Right, because there's yeah, a knee bar. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, the knee bar. Because there's a debate. Well, if it wasn't him, would we have the same amount of scrutiny? And my argument is basically that yes, we would. And the reason why is because people say that letting go of a tap is a sensitivity issue. It's a sensitivity issue. It's also a skill. Like knowing when to let go is a skill that you develop from rolling over years and years and years with certain people in certain positions and knowing how things work. To you, does that argument make sense? And then also. If that's true, and maybe it's not, but if it's true, did he hold that knee, knee bar too long? So um, you have two different types of situations. You have a situation in the gym, and then you have the situation in the cage, which are very different. And I would say the situation in a grappling tournament, let's say Naga Grapplers Quest, uh, well, rest in peace Grapplers Quest, but Naga, ADCC, things like that, um, you're going to have a situation closer to the gym environment than you have in the cage environment. Um, if I'm rolling with Seth, I'm rolling with Ryan, um, we're, we know a lot about what's going on with the leg locks. We know we're stuck, we know we're not. And when we're stuck, we tap, right? Um, and that's why when, you know, if I'm rolling with mine or rolling with stuff, we have so much, I have so much trust in their knowledge and their skill that we go really hard for heel hooks. We make sure we get them, we take them seriously. We don't just, we don't do the, what you call catch and release method. We make sure they're absolutely sunk in. And we'll go until that person's totally stuck. And then that person knows when you're talking about that level, like we know it's tap, right? Um, this is very different in an MMA environment because in an MMA environment, um, especially at the pro level, uh, except for chokes, submissions don't really stop people. Uh, limb breaks stop people, right? So if you, there's plenty of arm locks that have been in place in mixed martial arts that would have gotten taps in submission grappling and probably injured elbows. But they, the person, after having their elbow injured, gets their arm out and continues to pound away, right? So except for chokes, you can sort of just tough guy through these types of injuries. And, you know, maybe you have a torn ACL, maybe you have a torn ligament in your elbow, but you're going to keep fighting because you want to win the fight. That's the problem with arm and leg submissions in mixed martial arts. And one of the ways to combat that is to be really brutal when you apply them, to make sure you're putting them out with such force that there's absolutely no way or wiggle room that this person can tough guy through it. So I understand the mentality of attacking limbs to this degree when you're in the cage. Obviously, when you're talking about in a submission tournament or you're talking about in the gym, this is, you shouldn't have this mentality. But I, I guess I want to say I understand it in, um, in MMA. Right. That seems like a fair rebuttal, except that, Fitch was tapping vigorously, right? So, there's, yeah, so, so, we, so, have, so we have so, surrender on our hands. Right. So the way it works in MMA, if you fight in MMA, they tell you that it, the tap is not when you stop. It's when the ref comes in and grabs you, right, puts hands on you. And so if the ref puts hands on you and you don't stop, I agree. That's, that's um, negligent. But I totally understand the, and the intent, I suppose, that doesn't stop until you feel hands on you. But I've definitely seen situations where our has had a heel hook and someone has put hand, the ref has put hands on them, right? And they almost have to pull him off of the heel. I totally agree that that seems excessive and negligent. But I, I guess, and I'm not saying it's professional at all. I guess I'm just saying this is one of the uh, downsides, downsides of being a limb attack based submission artist. You know, is that you kind of have to have 
this approach uh, versus chokes and you have a much more gentle approach. And I'm sure there's a, there's a, sure there's a happy medium, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel with someone in MMA and they screamed and when the hands are put on me, I stopped, you know, cause I have a little bit more, I guess, awareness in the situation, but um, I guess it's a, it's a tricky balance. Yeah. So uh, the issue obviously with chokes, someone just goes out. Uh, right. And then there's the, the, that's the final arbiter of whether or not uh, they won, but the, the limb submissions just make for a very, so it's a, basically your argument is that it's an inefficiency in the system that, People have to go to these extreme measures, given the the given the way humans respond to punishment in this particular sporting context. Uh, just, yeah, so so unless unless you're just going to let people fight to the death, right? Like what you're not going to do, um, you have to have this sort of weird thing where we have concession, and the concession is the tap, right? When we have strikes to the face, they either tap or the ref determines that if you keep going, you're going to get you know, irrecoverable damage, serious, like life-threatening harm. Obviously, same with the choke, right? You hold a choke for too long, um, then someone could die, right? That's not true with arm locks and leg locks, right? Like, like uh, arm locks and leg locks aren't, aren't deadly, so to speak, right? So it's kind of strange, right? And, and the way that certain um, fighters behave against them varies greatly. Like, I mean, when I'm in an arm lock, um, for the most part, I tap, you know? Like, I just... I don't care that much about the fight to not want to hurt my arm, but I know plenty of people who would call me a wimp for that. You know, who would say, if you're in a fight, you don't tap the arm submissions, you don't tap the leg submissions, like you just keep fighting through it. And when that's the mentality in mixed martial arts, and it's even become a mentality in some jiu-jitsu tournaments as well, especially IBJF, I've seen a lot of people just not tap anything until things get really bad at the black belt level. Uh, if that's the mentality, then people are going to get hurt, and you can't put all of that on one guy, right? There's the, it's kind of the whole mentality of the sport that people just aren't tapping these submissions. I mean, look at, look at Ronda Rousey and Mish Tate, right? So um, we have this arm bar that's clearly like past the point of hyperextension, right? But at the same time, you know, Mish Tate's thinking, if I get out of this, I'm going to keep fighting. That's her mentality, right? And then it just got to the point where it's just too gnarly, right? Um, that's that kind of behavior you don't see that much in gym, obviously, but you see that in fights. And uh, like you said with the choke, with the choke, it doesn't matter how tough you are; you're just going to go out and wear the limbs. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I didn't give you. I didn't give you a solution to the problem, but I think that's the problem. Yeah, I guess that was going to be my next question: is Is there any kind of adjustment you can make, at least on the referee's end of things, to uh, I don't know, cl- uh, close the inefficiency here, uh, even just a little bit? Well, like, so here's something that you have for children is that straight arm rule. You've got that for children in, in jiu-jitsu tournaments, right? Like, like it's in judo, jiu-jitsu, sambo. Anytime kids get their arms straight for arm bars, they stop it. We're certainly not willing to do that for adults, right? We give people safety up to themselves, right? Um, we did see a stoppage. Do you remember um, Sylvia Frank Mir, the arm bar, like the arm bar break on the forearm? Yep. Okay, we'll so that up. was stopped. That was stopped, right? I don't even know if that's technically a legal stoppage, to be honest, right? So, like, it, it's, it, it, we can look at it and go, oh, of course you should stop that fight. But, like, and it's a gray area. Like, did he want to keep fighting? Yes. You know, so, like, should it be a stoppage? We look at John Jones' toe get turned sideways, right? He wants to keep fighting, right? So we don't stop those fights. It's, like, very, there's a gray area on limit effect. 
you know, like, and would you, would you, do you stop people from fighting if their toes turn sideways? I think, I think the rule there is once a bone is broken and it's been, uh, like the problem with Jones's toe is that it broke as the round was expiring, or I should say as the fight was expiring right. and, and no one noticed it. But, um, so you think they could have stopped it if it happened in round one? I'm curious. Yeah, well, that was the that was the issue. That if it had gone past the first round, uh, Jones would have lost his title. That's the so. Issue. That's actually how that works. That is actually how that works. That would. Do you would think that's been, correct? I don't know. A disaster for John Jones. That's why I was right. A big deal. Do you think that, do you think that's a correct way for it to work? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I certainly for with the Sylvia arm break. I mean, uh, or any kind of let's say, how about this? Any kind of break that goes through the skin where you can get infection that seems to be rather obvious. You have to do something about it, right? Um, but beyond that, I don't know. But I, but I guess. Yeah, so but on the referee side, are. there's there's nothing you can do on the referee side. I mean, I guess you know ha- uh, have a specially trained referee who is right there uh, on top of it. But I mean, that's that's the sort of thing they want from every referee. Are we just stuck with this? <laughs> I have I have no clue. At the same time, is it a problem? I mean, we are we are talking about people fighting in the cage for money. Is it a problem? Like that, that the fact that injury is such a is such a you know the fact that you're able to be injured severely in a sport where you're trying to injure someone severely is that a shocker and is that a problem? I guess that'd be my question. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if, if we manage it to such a good degree, I mean, it's a relatively safe sport compared to other high-impact sports like football, right? But um, it, do we want it to be, like, I mean, do, what, do, what are we going to do, ban leg attacks? I mean, this is the type of thing that that I will, that will concern me, I guess. If, if you're going to be stepping in this level of arena, I think you're accepting some level of danger to your personal self, and I think most people are okay with it. I don't know. I mean, what's your opinion? Um. I'm I'm halfway with you and halfway not. I do think that there's some kind of things to that need to be uh, changed or reined in. But it doesn't matter what I think. Let me ask you about a um, <laughs> for now anyway. It doesn't matter. Let me ask you about another issue. So, um, given your perception, why is there mass spread outrage about the heel hook or leg submissions that are held too long? And the reason, and Paul Harris mentioned this himself, which is. Look, guys, you can say whatever you want about this. The commission's not going to punish me, at least not in this particular case. Uh, although they did mention they were pissed, by the way. But they're not going to do anything. And he says, how is this any different than what, say, for example, Alistair Overeem did to Stefan Struve, where he can clearly see the guy is out from strikes, and he's still bombing on him because the referee hasn't stepped in. There's no condemnation for him. So I'll ask the same question that Poharis is asking. Why is there condemnation for these kinds of finishes that we see in combat sports? Hmm. Well, um, there definitely have been examples of people going too far um, and not being punished in, 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 in across the board from every type of finish, right? Um, and there's been examples of Paris going too far unquestionably, and it's possible that a lot of the ways he's being punished now is like retroactively, you know, like some sort of weird like, you know, you did this before, you're not doing it now, we got to get you this time. That seems to be happening, right? Like, that's kind of his, what was it, banishment from the UFC was from a submission that really wasn't that, held on that long, right? So, but it was clearly in reference to older subs that were, you know? So I think it's complicated in his case. But as far as outrage against heel hooks in general, um, that, that's a weird thing because this is not just, in mixed martial arts. I mean, they're, they're banned in jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu, even at the black belt level, right? So at the black belt level, you can't do them. 
um, they're um, well, with the gi, and, though. You can do them without the gi. Oh, no, no. At IBJJF, no gi rules. World Championships, you cannot heel hook at the black belt level. What about ADCC? ADCC is not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I know that we like to call everything Jiu-Jitsu that involves yeah. submissions, but right, it's not. But you can do it at AC- um, ADCC tournaments. Or, um, what's that? Uh, you can do it at ACC, ADCC trials. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. All right. Absolutely. But, but most people in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community, which we're going to go ahead and call the greater grappling community in the United States, right? That's the most popular... Well, this grappling community is the, the jiu-jitsu community um, more than the judo or sambo community. Uh, the most popular tournaments are IBJJF tournaments, right? People travel a long way to compete at the Worlds or whatever, right? And those tournaments, you can't do heel hooks even at the highest level, right? So there's this clear opinion about leg attacks and reaping that it is this, like, terrible, terrible, horrible, horrible thing that shouldn't be allowed, um, which is so contradictory to the concept that we were all taught that, you know, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is this end-all, be-all system that's supposed to be able to take on all comers, and that was the whole purpose of it, in UFC, UFC 1, 2, and 3, right? So there's definitely this strange contradiction of, like, we want this sport to be um, accessible to everybody, but at the same time, we want it to be, like, the most effective combat system. Um, so I think that that relationship that's happening right now um, that's very um, paradoxical is spreading into people's perspective of mixed martial arts because most people's access to the training that they would, well, they watch UFC at, at Buffalo Wild Wings, but when they go and train, they don't train mixed martial arts for the most part. Most people just train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu by itself. So that's their sort of like, that's their in, and that's the where they're getting their knowledge from. It's from those perspectives. So I think that's maybe causing one of the reasons why people have so much uh, hate towards heel hooks because it might be spreading from the relationship with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I, I assume. So, how often are people injured with leg attacks in any kind of Sambo tournament? Are these just hazards you have to deal with or do most people walk out of them for, you know, no worse than you would for any other grappling tournament? So, this is actually a great question. Um, I, I think it's one of the funniest questions, um, not the funniest question, but one of the funniest things I'll point out to people is that straight ankle locks with reaping is legal in children's division in Sambo, right? So you can be six years old and you're going to reap the knee and ankle lock, right? And Sambo gyms are not fill people on crutches and wheelchairs, right? So it's, it's sort of absurd that you would think that this submission would somehow be that much more greatly dangerous than let's say like a shoulder locker, you know? Um, the, the, the attacks on the legs are not inherently more dangerous than attacks on the upper body. I mean, especially when we're talking about straight ankle locks and knee bars, um, which are the same thing as, you know, basically uh, arm bars and wrist locks. And then you have the fact that the reaping, which is a kind of a torque on the hip and the knee, is not that different than the torque on your shoulder for a shoulder lock, right? Um, the submissions that can cause more damage generally tend to be inverted heel hooks. And that has a lot to do with... Uh, the amount of torque that can be applied um, when, a, when, when you're like, get your whole core into it and you're on the heel and you wrench really hard. But that's the same thing when you're like head mounted with a Kimura, right? You, you're head mounted, you pick that Kimura up, they're holding on, and those fingers break free, and the top person decides how hard they're going to wrench that hand behind the back, right? That choice the top person makes when they wrench that arm behind the back to be gentle or hard is up to that person, and we seem to think that's okay, right? Like, that's okay in grappling. And we, for some reason, we feel like that giving that same choice to the 
training partner of the hill is somehow not okay. Um, that seems uh, specious. But back to Sambo. Uh, Sambo doesn't have heel hooks in 99% of the competition. Sambo doesn't have heel hooks. Um, there's a couple of uh, combat Sambo tournaments run by the International Combat Sambo Federation that has heel hooks, but most of them, like Theos, which runs Sports Sambo across the world and Constable across the world, does not have heel hooks. It doesn't have toll holds. What it does have is knee reaping and straight ankle locks and knee bars. And um, the injury rate, I don't see an incredibly high injury rate. I don't see a incredibly high injury rate at all for any submission. But I would say it has more to do with the fact that one thing I notice at the very, very high levels of Sambo, if I watch Sambo competition at the World Championship Finals, is I watch that people tap to things. I know that seems ridiculous, but that really that's what I'm seeing. Like if someone gets a knee bar, the other guy taps. Someone gets an arm bar, the other guy taps. Even at the World Championship Finals, people tap. You know? Which is something that we're not seeing as much at the highest levels of presented tournaments. You know, a lot of guys uh, are getting hurt at the higher levels because they don't like to tap, right? So that's kind of maybe a cultural thing. I'm not sure. Um, but, of course, I've seen injuries, but uh, I've actually never seen an injury from an ankle lock um, that was that severe, um, and I've never seen injury from a knee reap ever. And, and I've never seen one. Um, not from reaping directly. I've seen injuries from heel hooks that involve her. So I've never just seen the reap itself injure somebody. I've never seen it. So because I've never seen it, and I don't know anyone's ever seen it, and if you ask the IBJJF, you know, judges if they've seen it, I don't know. But I've never seen it in sports sambo. In the sambo you competed in, do you wear shoes or not? Yes. Okay. So what's better for attacking leg locks, uh, although least the ones that are allowed in the tournaments? Having a gi on, because obviously they can't slip away, or the shoe to grip the ankle? Oh, the shoe, by far. Like the, the shoe, I think the reason why the straight ankle lock, something that is not taken, not considered that important in most um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, uh, schools that I've been in. Like I, I've been to some schools that teach it a lot and some schools that don't teach it very much at all. It's such a fundamental ensemble, and I, bet, I really believe the shoe is a huge part of that. Um, when, you, when your arm slides down and your elbow and, and armpit clamp around that shoe, it's really, really hard to escape. And you're able to finish ankle locks from all kinds of imperfect angles. Well, when you're talking about that issue, your ankle lock has to be incredibly good. And so I think the, the reason why I'm so comfortable with ankle locks is because of starting with the shoe. Um, you, you know how you see guys that can hit shoulder throws nogi, right? They can just their tail over shoulder throws nogi. Mm-hmm. They almost always have to develop that skill in, with the training rules of the gi and say judo or sambo, right? I think that's true for the ankle lock. Like, because I learned the ankle lock with the shoe, I can now translate my confidence in the move to an environment where I don't have a shoe, but it's so much easier with the shoe on. All right. Um, Riley, so what's, what's, the, what's the takeaway here? If you could speak to disgruntled fans or even anyone in the MMA community <laughs> uh, about how to view this, what happened to John Fitch in the proper context about the injury? It's, I, I don't think he has to get surgery. Was, he, was he mad? Did he, did he feel like he was held on for too long? Uh, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't see his reaction. I, I haven't heard too much except that um, he, he didn't have to get surgery, so I don't think he's too bitter about it. Uh, okay. I don't know. Uh, but the long story short is if, uh, the consternation over this issue never seems to go away. And whenever there's kind of any kind of... Uh, leg lock that uh, is either held long time or perceived held too long. We have this outcry. There's about, you know, what, what is the value of these? And, and it, it, you know, 
that if there's anything to take away from this, how do you assuage fans? Are people considering banning them? Is that like actually in discussion? It's or not, it's are, not are in discussion, but fans are, okay. just, fans are just wondering, you know, uh, why do we, why, some fans are wondering, why do we allow this to happen? You know, I, there's, no one's going to take them away, but um, they just don't quite get it. So I guess my, my question to you is if you could sort of encapsulate what the lesson here is about Leglox and Paul Horace, not his situation per se, but um, the kind of attacks he uses, what is it? Like, what should people understand about what's happening here? I would say there's probably three lessons. Lesson number one, we have to separate the man from these techniques. So if you don't like the way that Paul Harris applies leg locks, if you think that he holds them on for too long, um, you can't have that be a knock against the submission themselves. Just, just as you can't uh, hold, say, if someone strikes too long after the, after someone's hurt, you should stop no longer allow striking. Right? So like, you have to have a separation between the man and the techniques. That would be the first takeaway, I think. Right? Um, the second thing would be that if you were to somehow limit the leg locks you could do or remove the legal leg locks, then you're getting further and further away from the sport that we like, which is the idea of seeing what the best way to win a fight is, <laughs> right? Like that was the whole point. So if every time someone, um, every time someone steps in to the cage, they're making an argument for what they're about to do. They're saying, here's the way I think one should win a fight, and I'm going to demonstrate that and prove myself right or wrong, right? So Paul says, here's my argument. I think that I can grab a single, and I finish the single, I can think I can sit to my hips, throw on a submission, and win the fight in seconds that way. That's the argument, and then he was proved right. If you start legalizing things and shaving things away, I mean, you're actually no longer having a reflection of what is the best way to win a fight, which I think is the thing that we love most about mixed martial arts. So that's the second thing. And the third thing would be that if everybody uh, invested the amount of mental powers into understanding Lightlocks that they do the rest of their submission game, they'd have a much more enjoyable, much more refreshed, and um, and I guess uh, um, clear perspective on grappling in general, right? And I think everyone will benefit from learning as much as they can about grappling as a whole and to, to pick a whole section of the human body you want to ignore when it comes to grappling or fighting seems absurd to me. Um, and I think that the, the same thing that we say about back in the day, full contact kickboxing, you remember where you couldn't kick the legs and you couldn't knee and people laugh at that now. Like that's, that's the same thing only in grappling, right? You're like, we're, Oh, we're just not going to worry about these submissions. We're not going to do these attacks. Everything's going to be from the waist up. That doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't sound like a complete holistic view of grappling. And I think that everybody would have a better time if they were working it to some degree.